My guest today is a drag queen and storyteller who's been a part of Drag Queen Story Hour for the past few years. You've seen them representing the organization on TV and performing at different venues across the city. I'm happy to have with me today the lovely Jonathan Hamilt. Is that how you pronounce it? Yes. Great. I, I should have asked that before, but it's fine. Perfect. Okay, so let, let's start from the beginning. You got your BA in theater at the University of West Georgia. Are you a Southern boy born and raised, or did you just happen to go to school there? No, I am from the sticks of Gwinnett County, so I was born and raised in Georgia, yeah. As a theater major, how did you get into doing like public relations and creative development theater goes way back i guess you know being a gay boy from the south (laughs) theater is like one great uh you know stream to get into uh, and to channel your creativity so from there i did theater and then i switched over to the dark side of costume design so i got off the stage and started designing and i thought i would do it you know, gay person does is pick up and move to New York City. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, it'll be like Rent or Slaves in New York. And then I moved here and I was like, oh, the East Village is kind of like for rich people and I can't afford this. So yeah, uh, moved here and uh, didn't know that fashion was a, a legit industry. And I was like, oh, this is cool. So I started interning at a fashion PR company and kind of just spread out from there. What was your first exposure to drag uh and was it love at first sight i think back in in college we had we didn't have a gay bar but we had a gay night and they had a drag night and these are drag queens from Carrollton, georgia it's like 15 minutes from alabama so you can just you know paint the picture of what these drag queens were like in the south so that was probably my first exposure to drag but then coming to new york you know you have the creme de la creme of drag artists so I would go to, I think, Amanda Lepore used to have a party called Big Top, and it was off Union Square. Mm -hmm. Uh, I used to go to that, and TNT in Williamsburg had a drag show, so that was probably my first real exposure to drag in New York City. And was it love at first sight? Yeah, I was really drawn to it, but I didn't start drag till many years later. When did you first do it yourself, and what made you... Finally decide to take the plunge. You know, I feel like there's two types of drag queens. There's drag queens who are like, oh, you should do drag. I have an opportunity for you. Here you go. Or you're a Halloween drag queen. So I was a Halloween drag queen. So I think six years ago, I dressed up as Lana Del Rey. Okay. And then there was just no turning back from there. <laughs> yeah, it was a lot of fun. And then I started hosting uh, a bingo night up in Inwood. And then it kind of took off from there. How did you come up with the name Ona Louise? So Ona is actually my mother's name. Huh. Yeah. So I was like, oh, no one will have this name. (laughs) I did have a previous name before Ona Louise, which was uh, Bridget Bishop. She was the first witch to be burned at the stake in, I think, the U.S., so I was her for a while. I was giving you a little, like, gothic. I did a lot of Courtney Love, whole numbers, you know, straight black hair, kind of scary, very Dragula-esque. And then I kind of switched over to a more flamboyant, you know, feminine Ona Louise. What made you decide to make the switch? I always had to explain my name, Bridget Bishop. And they're like, what, you know, 
why is that? And I think Ona Louise sounds more campy or more kitschy and exciting. So I think there's less explanation. And there's lots of Bridget Bishops on Instagram, believe it or not. So it's really, really hard to create a, <laughs> a handle. So getting into the drag queen story hour stuff, can you describe for the people at home what the organization is and does and kind of what the experience is like. Yeah, the people at home. So yeah, Drag Queen Story Hour is exactly like it sounds. It's drag queens who read to kids in public schools and libraries and bookstores, basically anywhere where you can get kids and drag queens together, we read. It's been since 2015. It was first started in San Francisco by Michelle T at the Castro Library. Mm-hmm. And I saw one of the very first readings. I was like, oh, this is so cool. I would love to bring this to New York City. I met up with my friend Rachel Amy, who was working for Feminist Press, and we teamed up and did our first reading in 2016 at Greenlight Bookstore in Brooklyn. And then from there, it just really took off and blew up. So, How did you end up hearing about the San Francisco organization? Uh, how did I originally hear about that? I really don't know. You know, it might have been something as easy as a flyer, just old media, you know, just something posted up. And the cast, and I was like, I really should go to this. And um, Honey Mahogany from RuPaul's Drag Race was the drag queen. And the kids were freaking out, like yelling her name, clapping and screaming when she came in. Like, it was a huge crowd. I was like, this is so cool. <laughs> Since drag is super popular with adults, and I, I guess that this is targeted kind of towards kids, what is audience composition like? Is it like a bunch of drag-obsessed moms bringing their kids, or is it like parents have nothing, like no idea about drag, bringing their kids? Our standard story hours are for three- to eight-year-olds, and obviously someone has to bring them, so the caregivers or parents come along. And I really think it's for parents who want to um, show their kids and give their kids the experience of LGBT programming or queer programming for the family. Um, it's a great way to introduce drag culture at a you know age appropriate level for kids, and you know they can experience somebody different than themselves. Can you describe your first experience doing it? I was completely nervous, like more so than I don't know performing at Stonewall or something. Um, you know, performing for drunk adults at 11 p.m. is really different than you know, performing for sober five-year-olds at 11 a.m. <laughs> and kids are brutally honest. So they'll just be like, you know, they'll clock you and be like, oh, um, why do you have a mustache? And you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> um, so it's just a whole different a whole different audience. It's really rewarding. And the kids just, their faces like light up. You're like a Disney princess or a superhero to them. They love like the big hair and the costumes and, you know, the makeup and the glitter. They're all about it. Were you a little less nervous each time or did you know how to cater yourself towards kids a little better or yeah, like how did you grow into it? Yeah, it's definitely like a learning curve because I guess most drag queens in New York City work in nightlife Mm. and I do the opposite. Like I'll be up in drag at, you know, 10 a.m. in the morning and primarily only perform for kids. And even my shows in the evening are family friendly so I don't you know you'll never find me at Macri Park or Metropolitan doing debt drops to Beyonce at (laughs) 2 a.m. so it's kind of evolved I'm sort of I sort of feel like a a elementary teacher but in drag Mm -hmm. so it got you know it gets a lot easier you learn to you know even my wardrobe has become sort of like this storybook come to life 
every aspect of it is catered towards kids, yeah. In terms of, like, stories, are you reading, like, kids' books or are you telling your own personal stories or how does that work? Yeah, so we actually developed over time, like, this huge library of books that we have. So we read, in, uh, you know, your classics like Hungry Hungry Caterpillar or Brown Bear, Brown Bear. Then we read more more modern books about um, inclusion and diversity and acceptance, like Julian is a Mermaid or Neither by Early Anderson. So we, we mix it up to keep everyone engaged and everyone loves Pete the Cat or, you know, don't let the uh, pigeon drive the bus. I didn't know that there was like a world of like queer, inclusionary kids books. Oh, yeah. Get into it. They're, they'll make you cry, especially, you know, it really reaches into your inner child and you're like, oh, I wish I had this as a kid. So some of the books are very sweet. And, you know, sometimes I always want to cry at the end of a story hour reading these books to kids because if I had this program as a five-year-old, I don't know where I would be now if I had someone telling me it's okay to be different and, mm-hmm. you know, shine bright. Your title with Drag Queen uh, Story Hour is Global Programming Director, correct? Yes, it sounds very prestigious, doesn't it? Yes, I was curious as to what that actually means. Well, we're like an extremely grassroots organization, and we are a nonprofit in New York City. There's only a handful of people that do, I guess, day-to-day operations, but we're going, we're expanding and going global, and I've kind of given myself this title Basically, I help acclimate and onboard all the new chapters across the country and the world that want to do Story Hour. So I touch base with them um, over the phone. We have conversations. We go over the guidelines and expectations with them. And I help them along the way. It might be helping the library administration, like when winning them over to bring Story Hour to their library or to their school. We help them with that. If there's any like legal issues, we have a lot of haters out there. So I kind of have to help coordinate with if there's a protest or what a statement looks like to give out to the public, things like that. So it's a lot of hands-on support for these people. You touched upon haters. What has negative backlash looked like and where does that typically manifest itself? I mean, in the craziest places, we've had a couple of protests even in Brooklyn about Drag Queen Story Hour. So in Crown Heights, there was a protest in Garrettson Beach so it's it's kind of wild how people could be against literacy and children's <laughs> programming. But, you know, it's kind of like a, I guess, a controversial button for people, Drag Queen Story Hour. Where's the most surprising place one might find Drag Queen Story Hour? And where's the most far out place? The place where you wouldn't expect it would be maybe like middle America. So we're like in Omaha, Nebraska huh. or Minneapolis or uh, Indiana. We're in Mobile, Alabama, which they're going through a lot as a state. So we have a very active chapter in Mobile, which is kind of amusing. Um, A lot of places in Texas, El Paso. So, yeah. And I guess the furthest out we have is Tokyo. Huh. Yeah. So we have an active Tokyo chapter. I don't know how well you know. Like, what's Tokyo drag scene like compared to ours? I really don't know. Hopefully I'll get an invite soon to go check it out. But, you know, they had the whole Harajuku scene. Yeah. I really don't know what the, what that drag scene looks like, but from the storytellers I met and the pictures I've seen, they look great, and I wish I looked <laughs> like them doing story hour. Can you touch on how kids tend to react? You, t- you kind of said that there's a lot of like excitement or that there was excitement when Honey Mahogany was doing it, but generally speaking, are the kids like happy or they're 
kids ever like scared or something? I don't think they're scared. I think whatever preconceived notions they have about gender or presentation, they might be like held back in the beginning. Mm-hmm. But kids are pretty open-minded and it's really the adults and the parents that have all the these internal dialogues and issues with gender. Kids are pretty open. They do whatever they want and they play how they play. So seeing someone just being themselves without making any apologies is kind of liberating. And what do you feel are the benefits of this experience for everyone involved? I think the more kids experience difference in general and otherness and are around people that don't act or look like them or fit a rigid gender stereotype, they're going to be more open to um, being creative with themselves and not be limited to some rigid gender box that they've been told. And do you feel that there's any benefits for the queens involved? Yeah, I I mean, you know, drag culture historically mostly is to, uh, you know, uh, facilitate the sales of alcohol in the bar. But when we bring them out of the bars, out of the nightlife, into the sunlight, into our communities, it's a great way to, like, give back and to share the love and acceptance to a future generation. You've been with the organization for several years now. Besides it expanding globally, how would you say that things have changed or evolved since you started? Things have changed a lot. Now in New York City, we do a lot of diverse programming. We do readings with kids with autism and other special needs. We do bilingual readings. We now work with the middle school and high schoolers. So we'll do uh, makeup tutorials or design workshops and book clubs. And we're looking to expand to start doing makeup tutorials with um, seniors, Mm -hmm. which is really exciting. So we do more than just, you know, read books to small kids now. Do you have a favorite story from your time with the organization so far? My favorite story that I've read, I think I really like Neither by Airlie Anderson. It's sort of like it's a book about this bird bunny mixture that's both, but everyone calls them neither. And, and they don't fit into this world of just blue bunnies or yellow birds and has to fly away and find the land of all where they're finally accepted. Oh, that's, that's, <laughs> that sounds really touching. It's really cute. And then do you have like a personal anecdote or a favorite anecdote from your time doing it? Uh, it's, I don't know, like, it's always funny. Kids ask the craziest questions. They're always like, did your mom name you that? Or is that your real hair? Or is that your real nails? Why are you, why are your boobs so big? Like, they're just like curious of the whole makeup of what drag is like. And when we explain it to them, we know we're like, oh, you know, drag is when you dress up to be your favorite made up character. And a drag queen is when you dress up to embody, you know, a feminine aspect of you or a side of you. And usually they're like, oh, okay, I get it. You know, it's a costume, it's dress up, it's make-believe, and Mm -hmm. it's an extension of you. So I know the organization is called Drag Queen Story Hour, but have there been talks about, like, incorporating kings or non-gender conforming Yeah, like, I think that's a really big question for people who want to start a chapter is that we're— Drag for us is anyone can do drag, and we have lots of gender nonconforming people. We have drag drag kings that perform with us. We have trans women that do drag for us. So we are really open and inclusive when it comes to whoever wants to be a drag artist can definitely read for Drag Queen Story Hour. As someone that does drag for both kids and adults, 
Is it difficult to keep things clean when you're around kids? Uh, is there ever a concern that you're going to let something slip? I think it's kind of the opposite. It's whenever I'm performing for adults is when I feel awkward because I, I want to like get up and make everyone do like the hokey pokey, you know, like <laughs> in a bar. You're like, mm, that's not going to work. So I feel like I have the opposite issue where I'm ha- I have to, you know, age it up um, to be age appropriate for adults. So <laughs> were you always interested in working with kids? I mean, no, it kind of just tumbled and turned into into this thing. I never really thought of myself working with kids, no. And it's it's very therapeutic and touching and you, I'm really connecting with my my inner child and kind of, you know, it's like a personal journey of giving back what I never had as a kid. I tend to ask this question, so I'll ask this question to you. So what's the worst you've ever bombed a performance, or in your case, reading, if you can even bomb a reading? And what did you learn from the experience? Oh, God, it's so loaded. Okay. <laughs> I would say the first reading I ever did, I sort of, like, blacked out. I totally disassociated and kind of just blinked, and it was over. I didn't really remember what I read. Uh-huh. So when we worked at Feminist Press, they did these feminist fairy tales. They're very long, and they're fairy tales that most people, I'm going to assume, are not familiar with. So reading this kind of lengthy, long book to small kids was not very ideal. And I guess I, my first one, everyone thought it was great. I blacked out. I don't really remember. But I would say the first time was I was just so nervous. And not knowing the fairy tale from just a young age myself, it was hard to make that connection while reading it. So maybe then, yeah. You talk about how, like, super nervous you were around the kids. Were you that nervous when you first did it for adults? No, no. I My first show for adults was a drag bingo at Indian Road Cafe in Inwood. So when you do a bing- when you host a bingo show, I guess, in drag, it's pretty structured. So if you don't know what to do, you just call balls. You don't have to, <laughs> you know, be turning out shows, you know, one after the other. So it was it was pretty easy. I think I'm a natural performer. I was at DragCon, this last DragCon, I guess, and there were Drag Queen Story Hours there. Were those put together by y'all? Yeah, we've been doing um, RuPaul's DragCon for a few years now. So we do it in L.A. and in New York, and we kind of take over the kids' zone and do readings all weekend. Can you tell me about the Halloween fundraiser your organization is having on October 24th? Drag Queen Story Hour does this After Dark series. It's for adults. It's sort of like a literary story hour night with alcohol and performances. So we're doing a spooky fundraiser happy hour benefiting our New York City chapter at the Fluid Project on the 24th from 6 to 8. So it's on Broadway and I think Bond Street. And it's free and you can buy tickets and all of the tips go towards our New York City chapter. Gotcha. And we have some three amazing drag queens performing. We have Cholula Lemon, Angel Electra, and Bella Noche. Gotcha. And then is this something you've done in the past or Yeah, we did a spun we did a fundraiser at Fluid Project before. It was um Annie Mantle Do, myself and Cholula Lemon, and it's a lot of fun. The Fluid Project um is a really big supporter of Drag Queen Story Hour. For those at home that don't know, can you tell us a little bit about who the Fluid Project is? One of the Fluid Project's main goals is they have a lot of like gender nonconforming or genderless apparel. Mm-hmm. So it's a great 
kind of safe space for people who are nonconforming or on the gender spectrum to find a great wardrobe. They have an off, they have an awesome coffee shop there, and they have lots of really cool events that benefit a lot of charities. And then for your organization, how just how important are fundraisers? Where's the money go to, and what is the money typically used for? Yeah, the money goes right back into our programming. So. In New York, we definitely, drag is definitely a job, and we love to compensate our queens for their time and talents because drag ain't cheap. So Mm -hmm. um, we like to pay our performers and our organizers for their time and talents of organizing and logistics and setting up these events. So I guess when you first started, was was that the case too? Like when you reached out to San Francisco... Did they try to do the same for you, or is that something that as you kind of grew the New York City thing? Yeah, we, we asked Michelle T. if we could ex, you know start doing this in New York, and she gave us her blessing. But then it kind of became a very formal thing. The Brooklyn Public Library and the New York Public Library both approached us to do these events um, and put them as like programming in the libraries. And then, you know, we came and have we have contracts with them now. So we're like external storytellers that come in so i guess we're vendors of a lot of library systems if you want to expand to other like libraries like how do you get their permission to do that yeah so it's a little complicated so you know in new york we we have contracts with brooklyn public library manhattan and queens so we're pretty much in every public library and any public school that wants to have our program as well um, you know, we don't want to turn anyone down, hence why we have these fundraisers so we can pay for the events regardless if the venue or group can't pay for it. Um, when you take the program outside New York City, it's very different. So, you know, in the South, say, in Mobile or at places like Atlanta or North Carolina, you know, the communities and libraries aren't ready to, you know, wave their pride flag high and have Story Hour as an official program. So it gets a little kind of complicated, and there's kind of a lot of, like, bureaucracy with a lot of the libraries and having that as an official program and having funding for it. Huh. That's... It's a very complicated, complex, lots of intersections. And a lot of people are super excited to throw Drag Queen Story Hour, and I'm like, all right, like, let's back this up a month out and talk about, you know, how is your community going to react when you bring a story, you know, a drag queen in or drag performer into a library? What's the reaction going to be? Sometimes when you drop bombs like this on a community or town that's not ready, the backlash could be pretty harsh. So I'm always asking librarians or people like, oh, do you have like a pride display? Do you do National Coming Out Day? Do you have Heather has two mommies on display? How do the people, your patrons react to that before you just throw a drag queen into the kids section and see what happens. How do you get people ready for that? Again, it's like a long process of kind of, you know, first you got to win over your internal team and get them all on board on the same page about why this is important, why drag is important, you know, why diverse programming is needed in this space and getting everyone excited and charged up about it and then rolling it out to the community kind of in waves and getting them prepared for a really fun experience. Let's say looking 10 years out, how would you like to see the company have grown? What would you like to see happen in 10 years? 
I would love it to, I would love everyone to have a really safe and fun reading and it not be, get such negative responses from people and that it kind of becomes just a normal library program that's around the country and the world. That everyone's like, oh, it's Saturday at 11. Let's go to Drag Queen Story Hour for brunch. Like, no big deal. Mm -hmm. And each kid has a chance to have an amazing, fierce storyteller, queer role model read to them. Yeah. And then for those at home that are drag queens and may be interested in doing this themselves, being part of Drag Queen Story Hour, what's the process for them like? Yeah, well, basically, you just reach out to me, and depending where you are in the country or the city or the world, I connect you with that chapter organizer and see where we can fit you in to work with us. Gotcha. Yeah. And if you want to be a chapter organizer? You reach out to me, too. (laughs) (laughs) Is there anything we shouldn't reach out to you for? Mm, um, booking York events. That's somebody else. So, yeah. Gotcha. Alrighty. Well, where can the people find you, follow you, or and consume your media? Yes. If you want to consume away, we're on the Facebook at Drag Queen Story Hour. We're also on Instagram at Drag Queen Story Hour. And our website, dragqueenstoryhour.org. And if the people want to see... Ona Luis. Oh, moi? Yes. Have you ever been to the Meow Parlor on the Lower East Side? That is familiar sounding, but I have never been. So it's a cat cafe. Are you familiar with cat cafes? I love me a cat cafe. I got my cat from a cat cafe. Oh, well, this is, um, I guess, New York City's premier cat cafe, and I do a monthly drag bingo there. So if you like bingo, drag queens, cats, and pizza, then the Meow Parlor at 7 p.m. on Saturday is your place to go. So the cats are out too? Oh, it's like 30 cats, two drag queens, free pizza, bingo. It's kind of like a wild. That that sounds like... It's a lot. That sounds like a lot, but it sounds wonderful. I want to keep an eye out on that. Well, thank you so much for your thank time. Thank you.